Amen, amen, amen. Jesus is our living hope. I appreciated uh, Jace's lesson last week, gave me an opportunity to spend some time out of town with my family and was a great intro into what we're going to be learning about over the next few weeks. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to be in verse 18 to kind of lay the groundwork for what we're going to be learning about uh, in a new series called Grow. And as men and women who are followers of Jesus Christ, as men and women whose lives have been transformed and who have been reborn, we certainly don't want to live the rest of our lives as infants. Uh, we certainly don't want to live forever as immature. We certainly don't want to live forever on milk. We want to advance. We want to mature. We want to grow. And we don't want to do that just because it's the right thing to do. We do what the Bible teaches us to do. And God's Word teaches us that we must grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom the glory is due both now and forever. Amen. That is Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. Let me read it to you again, and I've got it on screen for you this morning. Uh, Peter, a follower of Jesus... Uh, who witnessed miracles, who experienced his own struggles in life, who understood the nature of the Christian life. And a letter he writes to churches begins and ends with this idea of grace. And he concludes this letter by saying, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The keystone of righteousness in our lives, the crux of the Christian life, the foundation of everything we do is based in and on the grace of God. And if we rightly define grace as unmerited favor, we automatically encounter an issue with the text. How is it exactly that I can grow in something that I cannot earn? When we think of this in our earthly minds, in the natural, it really is hard to comprehend. If we look at what the Bible teaches us, the answer is crystal clear. Not one inkling of a shadow of doubt how we can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible will teach us. The Bible will teach us that if we want to grow in grace as the Scriptures demand, then we will grow in grace by becoming more dependent on God. If you want to grow in grace, if you want to live what the Bible asks you to live, if you want to grow in the grace of God, then you must become more dependent on God. This is the way it works. The more mature a follower of Jesus Christ becomes, the more dependent that person becomes on God. Now think about the biological world for just a moment. Think about your own life. If you're a brother or sister, think about the lives of your siblings. If you're a parent, think of the lives of your children. If you've raised animals or plants, 
And those of you who know me know that I can't raise plants. We can barely raise animals. And by the grace of God, somehow we're raising a few kids. Three by the last time I, I counted. Um, this, this idea of maturing by becoming more dependent is the opposite of the way growth happens in the biological world. In the biological world, as things mature... In the biological world, as things grow, as things age, they grow up to be, and anybody who's been familiar with teens or tweens knows, the goal in growing up is to become independent. I want my independence. I want to be my own man. And those of you who are adults know that if you could go back in time... (laughs) You would become dependent all over again. Can I get an amen from somebody uh, this morning? Praise the Lord. That's, that's not how it happens for those of us in Christ Jesus. Over time, as we grow, our lives become more consumed with and consumed by God. We become overwhelmed with Him in every area of our lives completely depending on him for everything. The words that Gary read to us this morning that Jason shared clearly illustrate that process. That I just can't not think about Jesus every thought I have. I can't not think about Jesus every conversation I have. I can't not think about Jesus in my comings, in my goings, in my lying down, in my waking up. I am consumed by God. And if we want to get a, a look, a glimpse into a life that is completely God-dependent, completely God-centered, completely founded upon and built upon God, we need to look no further than the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Following the life of Jesus will lead us more deeply into a God-dependent lifestyle. Jesus was completely dependent on God, completely aligned with God in every thought and every attitude and every action. I could give you literally dozens of scriptures that would teach you this. I want to give you just one. I've got it on the screen for you this morning. A lot of these scriptures are on our church app. So if you've got a tablet or a phone and you're following along on our app, a lot of these are there too. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, listen to these words, this is Jesus speaking, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He only can do what He sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does... The Son also does. Jesus is saying, I'm dependent on God for everything. Every thought I think, every action that I engage in, every attitude of my heart is completely centered and completely founded on God. In in another place, Jesus says, my food literally is to do the will of Him who sent me. Jesus' every desire, His every want, His every hope was centered on what God's will was centered on, what God's plan was centered on, what God's purpose was centered on. Jesus would say, I haven't come down from heaven to do my will. 
I've come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, every attitude of Jesus' heart, completely and totally dependent on God. Which is why the Bible also teaches us in John 1.14 that Jesus was literally full, you'll know this, full of grace. Full of grace. John 1.14 says full of grace and truth, but full of grace. How is Jesus full of the grace of God? He's full of the grace of God by his utter and complete dependence on God, his total alignment with the will and purpose and plan of God. And because of that dependence, Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. The Greek word for full there is the same word we get our English word plethora from. And I use this word often when I go to a buffet. And I describe the options at a buffet. You know what I'm talking about. Don't play like you don't. And when a, when a buffet has a plethora of options, my family's fixing to eat there, right? And that doesn't just mean an abundance of offerings of food, ladies and gentlemen. It means an excessive amount of offerings of different varieties of food. That's the type of grace of the man, Jesus Christ, not an abundance of the grace of God, an excessive amount of the grace of God. And by God's grace, through Christ the Son, you can grow up into that kind of grace. Praise the Lord. We're going to look at a few themes of Jesus' life over the next few weeks that Jesus intentionally and deliberately lived out So that we could understand how to grow in that excessive plethora, fullness of grace. And the first thing we're going to talk about, which is this week, is that following Jesus, learning to live as he lived, becoming completely dependent on God as he was, means living a spiritually disciplined life. Living a life where I practice the spiritual disciplines. By spiritual discipline, what what do you mean, Trent? Tell me what that is. Lots of you already know. Spiritual disciplines are the practices, the habits, the routines of the type of life God builds a person into the image of Jesus within. They're, They're the things that we can do that welcome God into the space of our life And allow God to build us into the image of Christ the Son. What we see in the life of Jesus, according to the Holy Scriptures, is that prayer, fasting, Bible study, service, solitude, and worship are among the most important routines and habits that God uses to build a person from the inside out into the image of Jesus himself. And that is no doubt why Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, lived the disciplines out for us to plainly see. He wanted to show us that a life centered on God, a life dependent on God, a life aligned with the will and the purpose and the plan of God is a life that is lived through the spiritual disciplines. You don't have to look very far in any of the Gospels to see evidence uh, 
of Jesus' spiritually disciplined life. I'll give you a few examples. They're on the screen. I'm not going to talk about these in length, but I do want to show you very clearly Jesus' habits as far as spiritual disciplines are concerned. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. The Bible records very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There's a few spiritual disciplines identified in here, and you could find a story like this in the life of Jesus repeatedly throughout the Gospels. But here we see the discipline of prayer, the discipline of solitude, and the discipline of simplicity. These were some of the most central disciplines that our Lord Jesus practiced. And lots of you have had the opportunity to practice these very disciplines in your rooted group. And I do want to see a show of hands. I'm going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you have had your prayer experience in your rooted group? Praise the Lord. There's about half or more than half of you in the audience who have, who have participated in your prayer experience. I want to share with you uh, the journal writings of an individual who shared them with me during a moment where he took Jesus up on the practice of spiritual disciplines as an opportunity for God to work in his life. This individual did this during his rooted prayer experience. He set aside electronics. He set aside friendships. He found a solitary place. And very simply, with a pen and a journal, began to pray. And this individual would tell you that their life was broken, that they were struggling and hurting, and that they desperately needed God to intervene. So they begin to pray in solitude and in simplicity. And they begin to seek God and they begin to ask God to teach them and show them where their life was off track. And these are a few of the journal entries that were shared with me. Here's... The first one, so much of what you put in your mind is filth. How can you expect to grow spiritually when you pay attention to inappropriate comedy, music, and entertainment? Here's another entry. Replace the time and effort and even money you spend on bad stuff with time spent together with Jesus in his word. Another entry says... Your addictive personality doesn't have to be a curse. It's a blessing that you're channeling inappropriately. Use it the right way. Get addicted to worshiping God, spreading His Word, eating healthy, exercising, working hard, and saving money. Another entry says, Your depression and anxiety has a purpose. It should lead you to make a change in your life. Most of your depression would fade if you had nothing to be ashamed of or feel guilty for. If you cut out negativity in your life, those terrible thoughts and feelings would fade. What this shows me is that God is actively working in the hearts of Christians as they seek Him out in practicing the spiritual disciplines. I've spent the better part of a decade reading God's Word, studying personal growth and transformation. And ladies and gentlemen, I could not state it any plainer than this. And this individual comes to this awareness 
through the discipline, simplicity, solitude, and prayer. I'm thankful for those of you who have participated in your rooted experiences. And if you haven't, or you're not any rooted group yet, the next time rooted comes around, get in a rooted group. But you don't have to wait for the next rooted session. You can begin practicing some quiet time between yourself and the Lord today. Another spiritual discipline we see Jesus practice is in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. And fasting is something that Jesus did and taught about. It's not something that many Christians do very easily. When we fast, it's as a rule done in a season of desperation, when we're overwhelmed, when the weight of the world is on our shoulders, when we need to have clarity from the Lord God. Our rooted groups also fasted before our prayer experience. And can I just say, that was a challenge for me. But we should subject ourselves to challenge if we should grow, if our desire is to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about this in detail a little bit later, but grace, while free, is not cheap. And the opposite of grace certainly is works. And there is nothing you can do to earn God's grace or to earn God's love, or to earn righteousness, or to earn acceptance by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's not the function and purpose of the spiritual disciplines, is to elevate your will and your willpower and your capacity to grow above the grace and power of God in your life. But while the opposite of grace is work, the opposite of grace is not effort. And you and I should absolutely be putting effort in to our walk with the Lord. Fasting is one very clearly taught biblical spiritual discipline that you can participate in to immediately grow closer to the Lord God. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus goes to Nazareth. Which is where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue. Now listen to this phrase. As was his custom. I want you to say that with me. Here we go. As was his custom. One more time. As was his custom. Why do we go to church? Why do we worship corporately together with other believers? Why is it important to be at the house of the Lord? Because Jesus went to the house of the Lord. Because Jesus' custom was to go and worship. Because Jesus did it, we do it. And let's be real clear about Jesus going to church. He never, ever heard singing that was better than the place he grew up. Can you imagine Jesus hearing angels sing and then going to a church or, or hanging out with the disciples and hearing these guys singing a hymn? It would be laughable. It would sound so bad. I joke around that some of our uh, leaders and ministers and church members are proficiently tuned to the key of Z. All right, and there's only about two or three of you in here. Josh Hudnall. <laughs> But man, for Jesus to sing a hymn with the disciples 
or to hear others gathered in corporate worship and singing couldn't have compared to the beauty of the songs that he heard in heaven. And he went anyway. And I, I know you guys think I'm a good preacher, and I appreciate that. And you haven't mentioned that one bad sermon that I've taught in the last five years I've been preaching at this church, and I appreciate that too. Right, but Jesus never heard a better message from the Bible than he himself could preach, ever. He never heard anybody teach the Scriptures better than he himself could teach them. He never had anybody teach him an insight that he himself did not already have. He never had somebody teach it more engagingly or more applicationally or more relevantly than he could teach it. And he still showed up. Because corporate worship, practicing the celebration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, does what the spiritual disciplines are intended to do. And here's what, here's what that is. All they're intended to do, ladies and gentlemen, is create space in your life for God to move. They create space in your life for God to move. You literally throw yourself in the hands of the Lord when you practice the spiritual disciplines and you just say, God, whatever you're going to do with this time, whatever you're going to do with this moment, whatever you're going to do with this mind, whatever you're going to do with this heart, whatever you are going to do with this life, I surrender it to you and I accept my lot as from you and I will live in your will because my bread, my desire is to do your will because I'm here to do your will because I can do nothing if I am not doing everything I am doing from you. That's, that's what the spiritual disciplines position us to do and to say. And man, we may get some powerful uh, revelation through the Word of God when we study, or we may just feel totally overwhelmed with joy when we worship. But you know what? We might not always. And we go anyway, and we study anyway, and we pray anyway, and we get in solitude anyway, and we practice simplicity anyway, because it's better to be in the will, come on somebody, and the hands of God than to be any other place in life. That's, that's the pathway to dependence, is giving everything to God like Christ the Son did through practicing these disciplines of the spiritual life. Let me give you a couple of barriers, and then I'm going to wrap up, that you face in legitimately, and I'm using that word intentionally, practicing the spiritual disciplines. The first one is the enemy of distraction. The enemy of distraction. According to the research, every 40 seconds, your brain is distracted by something. Show of hands, all right? It's gut check time, ladies and gentlemen. How many of you have thought about something other than what I've been preaching since we've been listening to me teach? Raise your hand. If your hand isn't up, God forgive you for not being honest in church, all right? Every 40 seconds, your brain is distracted by something. When you focus your attention on something new and novel, this is interesting, a chemical called dopamine is actually released in your brain, and that feels good. So there is this powerful reinforcing effect that happens every time your attention gets distracted. And as of today, I, I would assert that there is no easier time in history to be distracted because something that you and I all possess, which is this. Right? And I thought I would ask another question. 
How many of you have used your phone to investigate the thing you were distracted by that you just confessed earlier since you've been sitting in church? Raise your hand and don't lie in church. Come on, somebody. All right. I had an elder confront me about that very thing in a meeting. I thought, you know what? I need to grow in this area as much as anybody else. And I made that commitment. And it was a challenge. We were joking about it a little bit and had some fun with it. But it's true. We are so easily distracted in our culture. And once you start chasing the rabbit, before you know it, you've been up till 2 a.m. And you know how much pepper costs on the eastern shores of China. Because you've been clicking Wikipedia links one after the other and all at once wonder how you got where you are. The enemy of distraction. I believe distraction is one of the primary, if not the most, significant problem in practicing the spiritual disciplines in our culture. We are perpetually distracted. And it takes effort, and this is not a work that we do to earn righteousness. This is effort we apply to create space in our lives for the Spirit to work. And when we find that we're less stimulated and distracted, the the peace of the Lord, man, that so many of us don't have, and we wonder why and how we can get there, that passes all understanding will manifest itself in our lives. The cure to distractibility Practicing the spiritual disciplines of simplicity, solitude, and prayer. Here's your second enemy. The second enemy of practicing the spiritual disciplines is the enemy of the artificial. The enemy of the artificial. If you'd look up how much clothing in the world today that's made is made from artificial fabric, what you'd find is that 60% of all manufactured clothing is made up of polyester, nylon, or some other synthetic fiber, which are now much more common than the natural fibers found biologically, like silk, wool, and cotton. Sixty percent. And I don't have statistics to prove this, but it seems to me that probably sixty percent or more of our lives are superficial, are not real, are puffed up, decorated, made to look better than they actually are, and presented for all the world to see. And that is a symptom of each of our brokenness and our own vain attempt to heal a pain that only God, by His grace, through Christ the Son, in the power of the Spirit, can truly heal. Artificiality, superficiality, false pretense, and the like are the infectious disease of our modern times. The doctrine of the here and now, the get it easy with low effort, the doctrine of instant satisfaction and gratification makes practicing the spiritual disciplines a challenge because you simply throw your hands and feet and body and mind and soul at God and say, do with me what you will, expecting nothing in return. And every single moment of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, of every single year, our culture is teaching you to take life by the horns, to do it your way, to live how you want to live, to be the master of your own universe, and to get results and get them 
now. Graduate now. Get promoted now. Win the lottery now. Have your investment pay off now. Make an invention now. Never work again now. And that's the opposite of the biblical message. What our culture desperately needs is not more educated people. Our culture doesn't need more talented people. Our culture doesn't need more gifted people. Our culture needs more real and authentic people. Practicing the spiritual disciplines helps us become more authentic and more real. The last enemy is the enemy of comfort. The nature of distraction, the nature of the artificial are all oriented, are all geared towards promoting the enemy of comfort. Distractions are designed to make you more comfortable. The artificial is designed to make you more comfortable. The world itself puts you in the center and your comfort as the primary reason for your existence. But for Christians, the greater the comfort, the greater the self-centeredness, and the greater the self-centeredness, ultimately, the greater the misery. Because the more centered on yourself you are, the less centered on God you can be. The less full of the grace of God you can be. And the less joy in your life you'll find. The less peace in your life you'll find. The less satisfaction in life you'll find. The less purpose in life you will find. And you of all people will be most miserable despite the fact that you've given yourself permission to seek your own comfort as your primary purpose in life. Well, how should you make yourself uncomfortable then? Sometimes I think that's a tough question to answer. We, we think about sharing our faith with somebody at work and that would maybe be uncomfortable or, or, or trying to get a certain area of my life in order by a power of my own will. Simply this, setting aside a little bit of time and effort to practice the spiritual disciplines I promise will make you uncomfortable, especially if you don't get the results that you expect. And that's the way I hope it happens until you get so deep and authentic and real with the Lord that you find your very life transforming from the inside out. And that's the guarantee. The guarantee is that when you put in the effort, God will give the increase. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 says it very plainly. I don't have it on the screen, but I want to recite it to you before I close. That you should never, ever grow weary in doing good, in doing the right thing, in living the way Jesus lived, in doing the things Jesus taught. For when the time is right, you will guaranteed reap the harvest. If you do not give up. Some of you under the sound of my voice this morning may be feeling defeated. May feel like giving up. May feel like throwing in the towel. May feel like this whole thing is over. If that's you, I want you to come forward and let us love on you as a church and encourage you. Some of you have never been born again. Some of you have never been filled with the spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. And you cannot Live the kind of life I have been describing. If that's you, we want to pray over you, study with you, shepherd you, and we want you to be converted. If there is any other need in your life, 
As I close with the prayer, I invite you to come forward. We just want to surround you and love on you and lift you up before our church family. Please bow with me while together we pray. Precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for your spirit that resurrected him from the dead, that can live within us, that can empower and equip us to put effort into living out the spiritual disciplines. And when we do, God, we create space in our lives for your grace to increase in our lives to the point where we are literally overflowing with a plethora of grace. And God, that's, that's the source of joy and peace and satisfaction and purpose. Let us as a church be, be willing to put that effort in and sacrifice and surrender to your will. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with me while together we sing.